Welcome to Real Brave and Unstoppable. Here, you'll hear stories and inspiration about showing up in the world authentically and having the courage to create the life you want. I'm your host, Courtney Rivard. I'm a mom, recovering engineer, lover of the outdoors, and professional life coach. I help smart women just like you live happier lives full of purpose and joy by empowering them to love who they are, get unstuck, and take action toward creating the life they dream of. In other words, I help them be real, brave, and unstoppable. It is possible and you can do it too. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. about being real, having courage, and creating a life that you're excited to wake up to. I'm your host, Courtney Rivard, and welcome to episode number one. Thank you so much, you guys, for tuning into episode number one of the Real, Brave, and Unstoppable podcast. I'm so excited to finally have this baby off the ground. It's been on my list for the better part of a year. (laughs) So here we are, and I hope you enjoy the show as much as I have enjoyed creating it. First, on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about just what the show is so you can have a little bit of an idea of what to expect. Um, So first, a little tiny bit about me, and I'm a life coach, and I help women, primarily women, I will help anyone, but primarily women, Um, I help women that crave more from their lives get clear on what they want, um, and I help them find the confidence to go find how to go after it. there are so many times in life when, as women, we get a little feeling a little stuck. We are tired from being moms and wives, caretakers, career women, maybe in a career that um, doesn't light us up anymore, stuff like that. And we get to a point where we feel like we're living our lives for everyone but like who we truly are. We feel out of alignment. And I help my clients reconnect with themselves, figure out what they want. I help them get confident so they can, you know, show up as that person. And at the end of the day, I help them create lives that they are like super excited about. Um, it's great work. And my journey, which we'll talk a little bit about um, today, has led me to do this work, which I am super passionate about. So yeah, as women, we tend to cruise through life and we take care of everyone else. And we get to a point, I think, where we stop and ask ourselves, like, is this all there is? I feel like I should be further ahead right now than I am. Or maybe you feel, we feel like it's too late for me to do X, Y, or Z now. You know, we've gotten to this point and we feel like we've kind of lost a piece of who we are. We know there's more out there for us if we want to find, if we want to get it, but we don't really know what that is. And like finding out where to look is very overwhelming especially when we've been in kind of the same routine for so many years. Um, And even if we have like a little bit of an idea, we really a lot of times don't really know how to get there. Um, And there are a lot of reasons for that, I think, but and and they vary from person to person. But I really created this podcast to talk about this beautiful journey of getting to that point where you just you want something better for yourself. That start of reconnecting with who you really are and then finding the courage to love and accept that person just as she is, as well as really figure out what it is you want in your life 
and to help you understand that you can go get that. Like you can create a life that you choose. You don't have to just let it happen to you. And I think that's really important. Um, I, I think that no matter what stage of life that you're in, like you need to, you need to know this and you need to believe it. I was inspired by my own journey, which I'm going to talk a little bit about on the show today. Um, it's my real brave and unstoppable journey. So I thought it was fitting. The first part of my life and well, all of our lives is obviously childhood. And when we're kids, we we're taught that, you know, we can, I don't know, we, I think we believe um, better things about ourselves or we are able to dream. And, um, you know, people tell us, you know, you can be whatever you want to be and stuff like that. But we're also forming some some belief structures and we're accumulating these stories and narratives that help us know what's right or wrong or like what we should or shouldn't do, what's good, what's bad. Um, We're learning how to fit into the world. Um, All these beliefs and stories, they become part of us. And since we're kids, we don't really think to question them. So they become part of this fabric of our being. And there are, of course, issues with that too, which we'll get into as we keep talking. So moving into adolescence, oh boy, yeah, that's a tough time for all of us. (laughs) Hormones raging, we all have these emotions we don't really know how to deal with yet. We really want to fit in. And if you think about it, you know, you think about times where you've maybe been embarrassed. So the next time you are a little more careful to protect yourself or, you know, in, in school, like you raise your hand to participate in class and you get the answer wrong and people make fun of you or um, things like that where you've, I don't know, you've shown up at, to school and somebody's made fun of what you wear. Like there are all these little pieces of like, you know, for example, if you show up to school wearing something that's like crazy, but that's really who you are and then you get made fun of. So then you try to fit in. Well, you're, you're losing that piece of yourself to fit in. So that's a big piece of like losing our authenticity is, um, as we move into adolescence. Um, so after, you know, after we go through high school, um, we're kind of thrown out into the real world. And then by now we have all these beliefs and stories that are ingrained into us. And we don't really, like I said before, like we don't really realize that they may be unhelpful because we haven't really thought about it. We haven't really figured out that we can totally question these things. They're just put there. They're not necessarily true. Um, they're just, they're just there's just still a given for us. And of course, we're still concerned with fitting in and being liked. We're concerned with getting ahead, finding it, finding success, finding our place in the world, finding place in finding our place in society. And as we go through like our 20s, maybe early 30s, we're kind of checking the boxes. Like we're comparing ourselves to other people. You know, friends are getting married, buying houses, having kids, all of these things. And we kind of use them as like a yardstick to measure our own progress. Um, I know somebody who is like 40 and just got married, 
just as buying a house doesn't have kids. Well, are they're just expecting their first baby. And like he was always saying like, oh my gosh, I, he just felt very behind. And I mean, he's very successful like financially and stuff, but he just really felt kind of like behind the curve because everyone else he knew was doing all these things. But, you know, I think it all ended up okay, but there was that struggle of, well, I should be doing these things. At some point... I feel like everybody has some kind of trauma that crosses their path, like some sort of struggle. And some people have worse ones than other other people. But I feel like there's a certain point where having all of these like unhelpful stories and beliefs that have eroded like this authentic self just becomes too much to deal with. I think like we get to a certain point where we really crave that true connection and belonging with others. And it's the kind that we don't get from how successful we are from like a materialistic standpoint. It's the kind of connection that we get when we like take off our armor and our masks and we get vulnerable in order to show up and be seen as our true selves. I think there's a point where we start to wake up and we realize that we've put these dreams of ours on hold or not even necessarily uh, that we think about them as being on hold, but I think sometimes we also just kind of give up on them or we, we let them go almost over time and we just kind of get farther and farther away from them and eventually are just like, you know, we get to a point where we're like, oh, well, it's too late. You know, we've been in these roles of mom, like I mentioned earlier, mom, wife, caretaker, career woman, maybe it's a job that doesn't really align with who you really are. Um, And, you know, now you're feeling like you're on the hamster wheel of life. You're going through the motions and it hits us. Like, I thought it would be more amazing than this. But we like there's this guilt for thinking that. Because we do have a lot to be thankful for. And by us saying, I wish there was more, I wish things were different, it's almost like in our minds we're saying, I hate my life. Which isn't necessarily true either. We don't hate our lives. We just, it's not something we feel like is full of purpose for us anymore. And so this like starts this emotional tug of war between I know I'm meant for more self versus the I know I should be grateful self. And, you know, when we get to this point, most of the time, at least when I talk to clients of mine, this is what I hear over and over again, is that we know we want a more fulfilling life. We want one with purpose, one with more purpose, but we really have no idea in hell what that actually is. And like, why is that? And here's why I think, I think it's because we really, over the years, have just really lost sight of who we really are. And to me, the start of the journey towards creating this amazing life that you wake up just excited to live is getting to know who you are. And that's why this show is called Real, Brave, and Unstoppable. The first step is getting real, learning who that real self is. And then you got to have a ton of bravery. So I'm going to relate all of this stuff to kind of what I went through. And so you can learn a little bit about me and my story, but I can also use it as like a, um, I don't want to say teaching tool, but you can kind of see some of these pieces as I went along my own journey. 
And as we get into the different episodes of the show, um, we'll talk about different, you know, it won't always be like stuff about authenticity and courage and going after what you want. But um, all of the things that I plan to talk about on the show are things that filter into or funnel into those things. Um, So I'm pretty excited to be bringing this to you. I think it should, I hope that it will help you on your journey. Okay, so let's go back to the childhood piece of things and talk about these belief systems and stories and things like that, narratives that we assimilate when we're that age. Um, Research has shown that, I believe it's before the age of seven, um, we're not really able to decide for ourselves what we believe. So we rely on our parents and, you know, the other people in our lives to tell us what, you know, what, what we should believe, like how things are. Um, and we just kind of accept this. And I think by the time that we actually are old enough to, um, discern that we kind of have already accepted them as like gospel or as the truth. Right. And so if you've ever done any work around this, like, you know what I'm talking about, but, um, if you haven't done any work around it, it can be really eye opening to look into it. I do this with my clients a lot. Um, we do something called the wheel of life or life balance wheel, where basically, um, I ask them to rate eight different areas of their lives on a scale of one to 10. And then we look at those numbers and, um, what, which areas they're the least happy with and like why, what things are missing, what, what would need to change in order for them to be happy with those things. And it's really amazing. Some of the like belief systems that come up or stories that they have from their childhoods, I would say nine times out of 10, you can trace those things back to the early years. (laughs) So some of the belief systems that pop up with people. Money is a big one. To sort of give you an example, when I was growing up, um, my family, like we didn't, we didn't have a ton of money. There wasn't a lot of extra money. And so my parents were extremely frugal and they were really good at saving. So they could have nice things, you know, after they had saved for them. And so, you know, they, I, inherited a lot of money stuff from them and through no fault of their own. I mean, it just kind of is what happens. But, um, you know, some of the things that I have with my, had with my, I'm working on with money, both of those things. But, um, you know, one is just uh, having to always buy stuff on sale or spending money is bad kind of thing. And I'm saying that loosely, but like to this day, I still find myself, if I tell, say, my mom about something that I bought, like, oh, but I got it on sale. Like, it's like I always have to give that qualifier, like, oh, but, you know, it's okay because I got it on sale. Um, So it's like I have this underlying belief that I can't buy anything full price, or if I do, um, then that's really bad. And I don't believe that, but it's just something that's kind of has been there and it's just stuff I'm trying to shed, you know, or I recently bought a new car and I wasn't planning on spending the amount I did on the car. So I kind of, I'm still kind of, kind of working through that. Like, I think that part of me, I've always told myself, I want to be one of those people who doesn't, um, I've had this story about myself where I'm, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't really care about what car I drive, you know, it's fine. Uh, I don't care. It just needs to be fine. I don't want to drive a beater, but I don't need anything fancy. 
whatever, you know. And so when I ended up with this Explorer Limited, which has a lot of bells and whistles and I freaking love it because my day job is in sales and I'm in my car all the time. I love, I love it. It's awesome. But I find myself thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm, that's so bad. I spent this much money on a car and I mean, I could have gotten a car for $10,000 less and my car payment, whatever, you know, I go through this whole thing in my head and I started thinking about like, why am I so like, why am I, why am I just not able to move on from this? And I started wondering, there was a thought that popped into my head and it was something about like, I can't articulate it exactly, but it was something almost of like worthiness. Like I'm not almost like I'm not worthy of having a really nice car. And I haven't finished exploring that yet, but there was this little, little something that popped up. And so I think like for you, as you go through and listen to these, you know, listen to this and like start to be aware of stuff like that, that pops up for you. And sometimes you're, you'd be surprised. Like some of the thoughts you have are based on something that is an outdated uh, belief or story that you've just had for a long time. Other things um, with like stories like that are like career. Like when I was growing up, I was a good little girl. I was a perfectionist, overachiever. I learned very quickly that if I just did really well at everything, I got a lot of external validation. I got a lot of attention. It felt very good. And so, you know, I was very, I was smart. I was always getting really good grades and um, so much so that, you know, if I got a B, which I didn't really get, but there was one time it was like, oh my God, what happened? And so I kind of learned that, you know, unless you get A's, you suck. Because I was smart and I got good grades, there was sort of this expectation almost that, you know, if you're smart, you go to school for like a smart career. You know, if you're smart, you go to school to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, which is what I went to school for is engineering. And I just remember um, thinking there was somebody that was a year older than me and she was going for, to school for something that was not one of those things. And I remember thinking, why, why are you going to school for that? Like, why aren't you going to school for, you know, one of like the math or science kind of fields. And, um, of course me growing up, that was that societal influence that said that, you know, the, the math and the sciences, those are the things that are for smart people, which is totally not true, but it was sort of this, like, those are valued. And if you want to be respected and you want that external validation, this is what you do. I do not believe that's true. I'm just, that was at the time kind of where my belief system had led me. Um, So I went to school for engineering and um, I won't get too ahead of myself, but, you know, I really, um, I wanted to be an astronaut and um, that was my dream. And I don't think that that dream, I mean, I lost, I not lost that dream, but I let go of that dream pretty quickly because I think I it wasn't aligned with who I really am. It was really because when people heard I wanted to be an astronaut, they were like, whoa, well, you'll definitely do it because you're like unstoppable. <laughs> and um, it took me a while to come to grips with the fact that I could have a dream that was just like 
something that was for me. And it didn't really matter if anyone else thought it was impressive, that it didn't need to be impressive. It was just, I get to decide that. So um, that's a little bit about like my career story. You know, when I became, um, when I left the aerospace industry, that's what my degree is in aerospace engineering, um, I became a stay-at-home mom. And I really struggled with that for a while. I didn't feel like I was at home in my engineering jobs. I worked at places like Boeing and Gulfstream and had some pretty cool assignments, but you know, it was a desk job and it was, it just was not what I wanted. And I didn't know that. I thought I wanted that, but because it didn't gel for me and that whole corporate, like, this is what you do. You go to college, you get a good job, they pay you good money and you get raises and promotions and, um, you work your way up and one day you can retire and then you can enjoy life. It's kind of the, the story that, you know, I had. And so when I didn't really feel it was, I, I, I thought that I should like it. You know, after all, I had gone to school for this. So I, I wasn't happy in it. So what was wrong with me? You know, and I just blamed it all on myself. And it's funny, as I'm talking this out, I'm realizing some of this stuff. It's funny what we come up with as we talk. But um, it took me a long time to come to grips with that. When I uh, was a stay-at-home mom, I really struggled with that identity, lost identity. Because it was, you know, that was my identity really was you know, being an engineer, because people respected that. People automatically thought, oh, well, you're really smart if you're an engineer. That's really cool, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so when I was um, a stay-at-home mom, people would ask me what I did. And it wasn't that I was ashamed to be a stay-at-home mom, but it just, I think I wasn't ashamed to be a stay-at-home mom, but I was ashamed not to be, not to have a smart job. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I wouldn't trade the time I spent raising my kids at all. Um, I did eventually start a photography business part-time, which was the best of both worlds, and that's a story for later, but... A lot. I think a lot of us as women too have struggle with that story of that we, you know, we there's there are a lot of shoulds in terms of career and you know raising your family or your kids and stuff like that. So when you are younger, um, other things that kind of pop up as belief systems and stories are like how to be loved or appreciated. You know, there are people who will tell stories of you know, they felt like they had to be the people pleaser all the time to be loved, or they had to always keep the peace to be loved, stuff like that, you know, where um, they learned how to, and actually, if I relate my own experience just with the, um, you know, my dad was very hard on us kids and, you know, everything, he, he really, you know, wanted everything done right and stuff as, you know, sure, I get it. But I wanted nothing more than to please my dad. And the times that I remember that that I got that was when I was doing something really well and he would show that he was proud of me. And so I think I accumulated the story of in order to be loved, I have to be doing something that's impressive. Um, and along the same lines, just how to be accepted, like even not necessarily in your family, but like to be accepted in 
school, you know, you want to, I remember when I was a kid, I was always like the tallest and, you know, the other girls, there were some girls in my class, like when I was elementary school. And I just remember always wanting to be smaller. And this was before like the boys started having their growth spurts too. So I was really taller than most of the boys too. But yeah, I always felt like I was awkward and out of place and I wanted to kind of shrink to, to be not seen as much. Or, you know, I also was just listening to a podcast, um, Brene Brown's Unlocking Us podcast, and she interviewed Jen Hatmaker and Sue Monk Kidd, and they talked a lot about just um, their faith and how um, in in their religion, there's a lot of things like depending on what religion you're in, but like questioning, questioning your, the facts of, or questioning your religion is not really, it's kind of frowned upon. So, um, you know, you could even think of it that way. Like is a story that you get is in order for God to love me, I need to not question any of these things that the church is telling me. Um, and I think that like what Brene Brown was saying that eventually, um, at one point she learned that she could still, be a, a person of faith and still question the, you know, man-made and re- really man, because they were made by men, um, man, these man-made outdated rules. So those are some examples of like what we pick up in childhood and what we carry with us. Once we get older, you know, even into adolescence, it kind of, I think, just carries then, then we're just really trying to fit in. And, but we have a lot of things that are a lot of inputs that maybe weren't there when we were younger. Um, we're, our brain is a little bit more, um, developed. So we're able to start thinking more about these things. And when I was in junior high, I developed an eating disorder and I struggled with it a lot of my adult life actually. And, um, you know, eating disorders, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, there was really nothing I liked about how I looked. And I'm not really saying that it was about looks. I mean, anyone that knows anything about eating disorders knows that it's something a lot deeper than um, your actually your body or your weight or whatever. But at a certain point, that became a way for me to cope with all of the stuff that wasn't fitting for me. And um, it really began, and I look back and it's sort of sad really because, um, you know, I, I just, I burned myself out. You know, I was always striving for perfection. And as we all know, perfection is not possible. So then if that's what makes you happy, you are never going to be happy. And that's where I was in that point, in that place. Um, it was always trying to get to the next thing. And then I mentioned also um, the my career story or my, you know, what you, the way you should make a living, get good grades, go to college, you know, all that stuff. All along the way, there are all these things that we do to try to fit in or even just to fit in with what we believe because we haven't questioned it. 
And all the while, it's like we're just, we're adding on another layer. It's like our authentic selves are at the the center of this onion. And we're like, instead of peeling the onion, the layers away, we're putting them on as we get older. And, you know, all of these situations in life, we add another layer because we're trying to fit in for this. We add another layer because we're trying to protect ourselves from this. And pretty soon, there's a lot of layers between what's on the outside and what's deep on the inside. And then we move into like our late 20s, early 30s, maybe, or that point where we're kind of you know, in a career, fairly established on the beginning end of that. And then we start checking the boxes. You know, we uh, get married, have kids, buy a house. Like, you know, it's what all, all your friends are doing kind of thing. Um, it's just kind of that next step for a lot of people. And then it becomes like this comparison thing. You know, do I have a nice enough house? Do I make enough money? Um, when you start to, when you're a parent, that opens a whole other door of comparison. <laughs> That's a whole other way that I feel like we lose some of our authenticity as well. Um, you know, how many times, if you're a mom, like how many times have you, you know, wanted to compete with the, not necessarily outwardly compete, but you know, you compare yourself to the PTA mom who does like everything. And I think we've all done it. Oh, well, oh my gosh. Like, Look at how much she does and look at, oh my gosh, she made like a friggin' R2-D2 cake for her kid's birthday. <laughs> that's an inside joke to anybody that's listening that knows that story. <laughs> I'll tell that on another episode. It's a pretty funny one. Um, anyway, and actually I made the R2-D2 cake. But comparison is a dangerous thing when it comes to authenticity. Because once we start comparing, we start to kind of shape shift into, you know, making ourselves feel like we're enough in the company of other people that we perceive to have their shit together. When honestly, they don't have it together either. I went through a lot of time where I just, I did not, I couldn't show up looking like I didn't have my shit together. And it's exhausting, people. It's exhausting. And the funny thing is, when I finally got over that, it took me a long time, but when I finally got over that, the people that I thought had their shit together, you know what? It turns out that they really didn't either. We're all just doing the best we can. But that comparisonitis is really, that's what I call it, it is really dangerous in in terms of maintaining our authenticity. And the thing about it is, if everybody would just take off their masks, we'd all be able to connect on such a deeper level. So it kind of brings us back to the point that I talked about with where we get we get to this point where we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of always trying to be someone different. It's uncomfortable. It feels, it starts to feel icky. It starts to feel stressful. And, and I think there's a point in life where we kind of just want more. And not even necessarily more, we just want different. We want something more fulfilling. We want to feel relaxed and peace. I think that's a lot of it. We just want to feel peace. And so um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about, so I talked about a lot of a thing, a lot of the things that cover up our authenticity, but now I'm just going to talk about like my journey to getting to the point where I found myself again. And we will dig so much deeper into individual pieces of this on the show in the future. But when I was, 
uh, in my late thirties, I got pregnant with my daughter and, um, I didn't deal real well with pregnancy. (laughs) Um, the weight gain piece of it, especially being somebody who had struggled with an eating disorder in the past, like the weight gain piece of things was really hard for me. The uncertainty, the unknown of just like, I was such a control freak. I was worried about everything in my life changing. So it was a stressful pregnancy. If I would have just let go and let things happen, it would have been so much less stressful. So I kind of started tumbling back down into eating disorder world. And I had been in pretty much recovery for a long time. Um, But at that point, it started to really become a problem again. And after my daughter was born, I struggled with postpartum depression pretty bad. And it became something that was... Um, I just, I knew that given the fact that I had this beautiful baby girl and I did not want to pass that along to her, I knew that I needed to fix it. I needed to figure this out. And so I started treatment for it and long story short, you know, that was a, a long process, obviously a lot of work. And I got to a point where I was in recovery you know, had been whittling down the um, not the amount of time I was seeing my therapist, and eventually, you know, I felt comfortable just kind of going, you know, being being out released into the wild, <laughs> and that was kind of you know I still hadn't really found my true self at that point, but I was on my way. I had fixed. I don't want to say fixed because I don't like to use that word, but. I had really um, dug into a lot of things and started to understand why a lot of things were the way they were and acquired some tools for continuing the journey. You know, I I was feeling pretty good, but I still, I felt this like, I felt this restlessness that what I was doing as a photographer and a mom, it was not, it didn't feel like what I wanted to do. But as I talked about earlier in the show, I had this sort of, um, well, I can't do anything now. I'm already like 40. I can't, I can't do anything new now. I'm stuck here. I'm kind of stuck now. It's just coasting into, you know, old age and whatnot. And um, then when I was, I think I was 41, um, my life changed forever in a split second. This is where the story gets good, y'all. <laughs> So I was looking at my husband at the time's phone for something and um, an email popped up and the subject was good morning, sexy. And, you know, I mean, anytime that you are married and you look at your partner's email and you see that kind of subject line, I think it warrants exploration, right? So I looked at it and I was reading through it and I was just, I can still, as I talk about it, feel the feels of that day. It was just this wave of like heat washing over me. Like, you know, my heart started racing, my chest started tightening. And I was just like, what the hell is this? And the minute I brought it up to my husband, I knew. So what happened was I found out that day that he had been having an affair with wait for it, another man. And this affair had been going on for eight months. 
And over the next few days, I would find out that it wasn't just like a fling. There were I love yous and a lot of sex, which was scary for me. Yeah. And what's really funny is he begged me not to leave. And I was kind of like, what? And he talked about how he was really unhappy in our marriage. And um, the things that he was saying seemed very fixable. He also swore he didn't know if he really was gay or if he just had a moment, midlife crisis. I don't know. To be honest, I was scared out of my mind. And so as much as it probably would have been better for me to just cut ties right then and there, we went to marriage counseling for five months. And it was a horrible experience because um, it was really just, every session was just about what I did in the marriage to make him unhappy. And it was nothing about the affair and how to move past it. Um, And that was really, that was really difficult for me. I felt really, um, uh, really invalidated. It was one of the hardest times in my life. Um, And then, you know, we tried and we tried to work things out and it just turned out that those months were a really great time for him to get comfortable with coming out. And so right before Thanksgiving that year, he decided he was done. And then we started the process of divorcing. So this was a really interesting time for me when I look back because I lived those five months in so much uncertainty and it was really hard. I didn't cope with it the best all the time. You know, I was seeing my therapist, so she helped me a lot through that. But it was it was so much uncertainty. But like I made it through that, which was kind of amazing. But then when he decided he was done, I immediately like I was broken. I was scared to death. I didn't know what I was going to do for a job. I had been a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. You know, I, you don't just hop back on into engineering like after that big of a hiatus, right? My husband was a lawyer and he made really good money. And so we had a beautiful house on two acres. I had a horse, like all of these comforts, you know, we really, um, it was a comfortable life. And so all of that was going to really be gone, at least really hanging in the balance. That was probably the, and those were just the fears that popped up. I mean, then it was all this like, you know, my family, I don't have a normal family anymore. All of the things that come along with that. You know, I felt just broken. I didn't, it was then that I, I feel like, you know, when people say they have rock bottom moments, that was my rock bottom moment. I, it hit me that I had no idea who the hell I was anymore. No idea. I started to feel like, you know, some of the stuff that I even did for my own quote unquote enjoyment, I think I really, I didn't even know if I really liked those things anymore. I was like, well, was I doing this just because I was chasing something um, that would make me happy? Um, Did I really enjoy them? Was I doing it because people were like, oh, wow, that's really amazing that you did a marathon or half Ironman triathlons. Like, did I really like doing those things or was it really just that I still needed all that validation? I, I still couldn't be myself with people either. You know, it was... And I, I think at that point, it was this lane changer of, Courtney, you are not in the right place. Whatever higher power you believe in, <laughs> that higher power put me, took me from my lane that I was in and threw me into a different one. It was very abrupt. But 
that began the journey of me figuring it out. And it was so hard, so hard. And I, I dated too soon. I was in a terrible relationship with somebody who was just a complete self-centered asshole. And, um, it taught me how to, it taught me how to stand on my own two feet. Um, I was totally codependent in that relationship with that guy. I'm not going to claim complete innocence in any of it, but he jerked me around a lot. And when I finally was able to just tell him to F off and I just never spoke to him again, that was when I finally started healing. I had the, the time to myself to figure out who I was. I started just practicing mindfulness, practicing gratitude. Um, this This guy that was so terrible, I mean, he had some great things about him too. Of course we all do, but we would have these really deep conversations just about life. And, uh, we connected on a really deep level that way. So I learned a lot about just mindfulness and gratitude and, um, things like that. I learned to start talking nicer to myself. I learned how to appreciate the little things I learned how to be present. That was the big one. I learned how to not attach to feelings. I went through a wonderful program called Dialectical Behavior Therapy, or DBT, which essentially, without getting into all the details, um, teaches skills to regulate your emotions, um, to tolerate distress, um, and uh, interact with people effectively. And it was really a practice of those skills that brought me to a place where I can sit with emotions, even in the hard times. And all of those things really helped me to take a step back and figure out who I am. And I think that gratitude and mindfulness, if I had to pick something that was at the very center and core of that, I think I would say that's what it is. And it's always a journey, but When I look back, I can't find, I can't tell you the point when I feel like I found myself because I think we're always finding ourselves and it changes. You know, I found, I've gotten to a place where I can tune in though. Like in the past, I wasn't tuned in. I just didn't have a clue and I didn't know how to tune in. But now I can sit with myself and I can really feel the energy and I can really um, notice thoughts and feelings and I can get through difficult times by not needing to control them. There's less resistance in my life. And so all of those things really help you to take a step back and kind of embrace the person that you are a little bit at a time. And one thing that I noticed looking back is there were so many situations where, like different situations where I would show up as a different person to each situation. Like one group of people, I would be this Courtney. Another group of people, I would be this Courtney and so on. You know, and um, like I mentioned earlier, that's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to be that. It just really is. Um, And I always just felt it. It felt unaligned, misaligned. Today, you know, I'm I don't, I'm not always a hundred percent authentic. I strive for it. It's one of my values in life, but you know, I always try to practice some courage and being able to tolerate some vulnerability, just being myself, even if it's a situation where I feel out of place. I, I try really hard with that. 
it's to me, it's the foundation of creating that life that you are just pumped about. It's going to help you. It's helped me. It's going to help you be able to figure out what it is that you want from your life. If you don't know who you are, you're not going to be able to figure out what you want. And I also want to say too, that when I say figure out what you want, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like, I want, you know, a job that pays me six figures. I want a house that's whatever I want. It's not even about that. It's like, maybe all you want is to be able to be peaceful, to be able to sit through emotions that are difficult without overreacting. Or maybe it's that you want to be more present with your family or you want to connect with your friends in a different way, um, a more deep and authentic way. Or maybe you want to make new friends and you haven't really been able to do that because you don't really, you don't connect like that because you aren't being authentic. And once you know what you want, you can start to craft a life that, you know, you create that's in alignment with who you are, that's heart-centered, soul-centered. A lot of people sort of let life happen to them and don't really realize that they can create whatever it is that they want in their life. And so as we wrap up here, I want you to leave this podcast with one thing. I want you to know that you can create any life you want. And it all starts with finding yourself and loving that person and knowing that you're enough just as you are. And that's it. Easy, right? Ha ha. And thanks so much, you guys, for tuning in to episode one. Before I go, I would love it if you would do two things. First of all, if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please leave me a review on iTunes. I would love that. It would mean the world to me. I am always looking for feedback to make what I do more helpful to you. Second of all, please go to my website at www.courtneyrevard.com. I have some free journal prompts, 26 of them that are awesome. And you can download those for free right on my website. Just enter your name and email address and you will get those sent to you right away. And they help you find some clarity kind of around figuring out who you are. So I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great freebie. Spend some time journaling. It's really helpful for you. Anyway, thanks you guys. And I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real, Brave, and Unstoppable. If you'd like to learn more about creating an authentic life that's true to who you are, visit CourtneyRivard.com slash lovelife to download your free guide on how to build your vision and create a life that you love. You'll be so glad you did. I'll see you next time.